you know, like you said, it hasn't increased productivity or productivity hasn't increased. This is a real opportunity to change that trajectory of the future and understand how technology, the introduction of technology, truly can drive down the cost of care, make it more equitable. Hi, I'm Patty Rado with Hims. In this episode, we're sitting down with Dr. Patrick McGill, Executive Vice President and Chief Transformation Officer at Community Health Network, Ramina Elias, Healthcare Chief Nursing Informatics Officer, Americas at Dell Technologies, and Susmit Paul, Global Healthcare Director, Client Solutions at Dell Technologies. Today, we'll be talking about how to deploy AI and automation for clinician burnout safely and securely. Before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Dell Technologies for sponsoring this podcast. The past few years was a challenging time for care providers, but resulted in the need for real-time information, providing opportunities to innovate at an unprecedented pace. As healthcare and life sciences organizations focus on the road ahead, they must develop the agility to pivot quickly to overcome new clinical and business challenges in this data-driven environment. With the avalanche of healthcare data needing to be turned into actionable intelligence, a trusted partner like Dell Technologies can help turn virtualized data sets into useful knowledge that can be disseminated to all caretakers. Working with our partner ecosystem, we come alongside healthcare and life sciences organizations with a focused, deliberate approach to help them navigate the evolving patient care continuum and the current market volatility, allowing them to deliver on the promise of a healthier future. Thanks for joining us, Patrick, Romina, and Sussman. Thanks for having us today. As you all know, there are real concerns about how artificial intelligence is being leveraged in healthcare settings, but there are AI applications that are already improving the clinical experience, ranging from freeing physicians and nurses for repetitive tasks to boosting the speed to insight for clinical decision support. But judicious deployment with a focus on patient safety and algorithm transparency and cybersecurity is critical. So let's talk about how our panelists are approaching their AI and automation deployments to improve the workplace experience for their staff. So Patrick, I have the first question for you. So how big of a problem is clinician burnout at Community Health Network and how are you and other IT leaders addressing it? Well, again, thanks for having us. You know, I think burnout has been a, a question for several years. It predates the pandemic and we've spent a lot of time at Community Health Network really trying to address burnout. First and foremost, I, I believe it be, it starts with understanding. So burnout, as we know, is multifactorial. Technology plays a role, work-life balance plays a role, other administrative tasks within the clinical setting play a role, staffing, uh, compensation, all of these factors play a role. And so I'm proud to say that several years ago, we stood up a center for physician well-being at Community Health Network to really address and focus on burnout. One of the areas that they have partnered with IT and informatics is on the utilization of technology. So we've done things like added scribes into the clinical workflow, and, and we're about to move into the ambient listening as a way to improve documentation and reduce uh, nighttime burden of, of finishing charts uh, from the clinics. We've also done things like cleaned up the EMR when it, when it comes to messages and how many messages people receive. We spent a lot of time looking at just the workflows around providers. And when we say providers, we're talking about physicians, APPs, nurses, pharmacists, everybody that provides care to patients, really understanding the workflow, the burden. Do we have people working at the top of their license? I think oftentimes when we talk about burnout, we immediately go to technology, but I just want to level set, you know, that it's often multifactorial. Now that's not to say that we don't have a lot of work going on in the tech space uh, to address 
automation, we've been very successful with clinical decision support. So alert fatigue and other things that really interrupt the workflow, frustrate people during their day. We've we spent a lot of time addressing uh, the alert fatigue and alert burden while trying to automate and improve the quality and safety outcomes by right data, right information, right provider at the right time. Right. That's great. It's very proactive. So Romina, as a CNIO, are you hearing similar burnout challenges from nurses? Completely. They're very, very similar challenges. Um, and like Patrick had mentioned, we we saw burnout even before the pandemic, right? And it only um, kind of escalated after that. And I do completely agree. Burnout is a combination of several factors. For nurses, most of the time, it's it's the it starts with staffing as the biggest concern, right? Um, and but the American Surgeon General has put out an advisory on on uh, healthcare worker burnout, and one of that. One of those factors is also technology. So we we're, we're here talking about AI and automation and in the healthcare workforce and how do we leverage the technology that we have now to be able to help the clinicians on caring for for our patients and and we can delve more into that in a little bit later. But um, a lot of factors that can affect the the well being of of all providers, um, including nurses and physicians as well, is you know, your, their mental health as well, right? So these healthcare workers were caring for patients nonstop during COVID, but who's taking care of them? So that's one of the biggest factors that a lot of organizations that we work with are also looking at. How do we then care for the providers who are providing care for, for patients? Yeah, it's important. So Patrick, how would you describe your AI maturity at CHN? You know, where are you in the process of rolling out tools to enable smoother clinical workflows and reduce documentation burden? And where's automation proving most useful for you and your staff? Yeah, I think all of healthcare is relatively immature when it comes to AI maturity on a maturity scale. I think there's some pockets, obviously there's innovation centers and centers of excellence that are leading the way. But when you look at the healthcare spectrum, you know, the industry as a whole, I think we're all relatively immature. And that's for multiple reasons. One is you know, just the technology in healthcare is a little immature. There's a high level of suspicion from clinicians and even patients about AI and healthcare and where the data is going and who's using that data, et cetera. You know, I think there's there's also a medical legal question that still has to be answered about who's responsible. We've all heard recent evidence of bias in some of the algorithms. And so I think we have to we have to go into it eyes wide open. I know we'll probably get to that a little bit later in the conversation, but with all that said, we have still been very aggressive on rolling out tools. Certainly, I think where the most development in healthcare is, is in the rev cycle space, right? It's easy to automate some of the billing, prior authorization, coding, you know, some of the bill payments and other things like that. We've spent a lot of time and effort and energy in those spaces. We are just now starting to look at the clinical space. So how do, like I said, we've done clinical decision support for quite some time, but how do we get to, you know, automation and documentation? So ambient listening, how do we get to some, some improved AI assistance with things like administrative tasks? So things like medication refills, care gap closure, uh, outreach for preventive screening, such as mammograms and colorectal screening. So I think that's where we're just now starting to move into the clinical space. I do think that there's a huge opportunity with generative AI to improve workflows when it comes to information retrieval, chart summarization. Granted, you know, we have to we have to do it smartly and in a in a safe and compliant way. But I do think there's a huge opportunity. Going back to your first question on burnout, 
if one of the big drivers of burnout is all of the information that people have to sift through in the chart, can generative AI help with that? I absolutely think that's possible. So Patrick, you mentioned a couple of uh, you know use cases, but are there particular clinical or operational use cases that are showing most value and ROI? Yeah, I think the first one is really decision support. So we're very aggressive on value-based care. And so we use decision support to uh, order the appropriate test, but hopefully avoid ordering the inappropriate test or the unnecessary test. So that's augmented to the workflow. So that's looking at chart notes, that's looking at data elements in the chart, really scanning all of that chart information to help help the clinician make a decision. I think the note generation is the next phase that we, we really feel uh, it's going to create tremendous value because it's going to free up providers to see additional patients, open up access in their schedule. So when you look at ROI, there's an access ROI, there's a patient experience ROI because the patients will have mu a much better experience without a clinician, you know, heads down typing on the computer. So Sue Smith, what are you seeing on these questions as you work with clients at Dell? What are their pain points and where are they finding success with AI automation deployments? Yes, uh, we, we definitely are seeing very similar patterns across uh, other health systems. I think uh, uh, Patrick mentioned uh, documentation. That's a, that's a really important one. Uh, from a burnout standpoint, how can we eliminate some of the more manual and repetitive tasks? Uh, there's a lot of focus on that workflow and the way technology aligns with the workflow. And uh, Romina mentioned this as well. Uh, there are, if there are you know certain tasks that we can uh, automate using technology, whether it is a virtual care and bringing virtual interactions with the patient in a inpatient setting. So we see things like uh, uh, solutions like telesitting um, and virtual rounding uh, could potentially have an impact on uh, the amount of time or the, or the uh, manual steps from, a, from a, a nursing perspective. There's also the opportunity to then uh, improve on these functions through the use of AI. For instance, we have examples where telesitting is not a not a new solution, so you can use it for fall uh, fall detection. But using AI as an added feature of the of the solution set, maybe you can increase on the the ratio, the stocking ratio. So how many patients for a virtual sitter could potentially be improved using using an additional level of intelligence on these types of solutions. So we're seeing a lot of interest in those areas around using IoT, computer vision, and then using that to make information more easily accessible as well as helping in that decision support system within the workflow. Outside that, I do also want to mention uh, outside of the clinical, uh, there are some operational things as well where we are seeing a lot of health systems uh, there's a lot of manual effort involved in just managing the vast IT infrastructure. For just one example there is every hospital has hundreds and thousands of endpoints. And although not a clinical use case per se, but at the same time, um, uh, IT often ends up spending a lot of time and effort in managing, deploying uh, devices. Clinicians spend a lot of time in front of these. Some of the studies have shown uh, in an eight-hour shift more than a third of the time goes in front of a, of a workstation on wheels or a PC. So we're thinking about how can we improve that interaction? How can we be more proactive in measuring the user experience? How can we be more automated in the way uh, these uh, devices can be deployed in a timely and a cost-effective manner? Well, Susmit, those are great uh, use cases, but what are some common challenges when it comes to putting these tools to work, You know, generally speaking? 
There's certainly a host of challenges in the same, depends on the type of use cases. So the one that I was talking about more around device deployment and management, obviously there's an aspect of it is around the legacy infrastructure, the applications that you have, how ready and uh, are those to be packaged in a way that can be, can be provisioned remotely. Look to get, you know, have uh, Patrick and Romina uh, share their thoughts on this. On the clinical side, they feel as you introduce things like AI, and Patrick mentioned some of this, the bias is an important thing. Hallucinations are not uh, uncommon. The risk of technologies uh, or using this in, the, in your decision support system is, is a level high. Right now you're talking about taking an action based on uh, AI. Potentially, what, who, what is the liabilities associated with it? In terms of challenges, I would just break it down into a couple of one is around from an AI standpoint, there are some data-centric challenges. The availability, the access to different data sources, the level of standardization that exists or does not exist, the interoperability of the lack of it in healthcare, the security and the privacy and the, and the consent management of, of that information. And then, you know, as you go into more of the infrastructure side of things, there is a, there is a legacy IT debt side of things where modernizing the infrastructure and hospitals and health systems are in different stages across the board in, in, in that side of things. So um, Patrick is what Susmit, you know, talked about similar to your experience at CHN, you know, what have been some of the hurdles as you implement these new tools and workflows and how do you work with staff for change management? Yeah, those are great questions. And and we've had, we've seen some of the same um, challenges as Susmit talked about. And, you know, certainly with any health system today, cost is, is at first and foremost with some of the challenges that we're seeing in healthcare and and volumes and, and revenue and everything else. So we have to be cost conscious. And that's no different than any other day, but I do think it's probably more important uh, recently. Uh, just the implementation, we have a lot of priorities. And so where does this fall on the priorities with against all the other priorities of the organization as it relates to growth and access and, and uh, clinical quality and safety? And so yeah, as we're this is a relatively kind of a new innovative. How do you drive that bucket forward when you're, you know, just mostly concerned with keeping the lights on and, and maintaining uh, the appropriate infrastructure from a cybersecurity? So some of the challenges that we see with, with staff and, and the staff for change management, you know, there's that old saying about when you implement a technology, it just shines a bright light on your bad processes. So we've really spent the last few years on really trying to understand and standardize some of our processes. Think about things like scheduling, referrals, uh, patient management, patient experience, so that when we do leverage some of these newer, innovative type of technologies on top of it, we're not trying to improve the process and uh, implement the technology. So I think oftentimes in healthcare, we overlook the importance of that process standardization because standardization sometimes says, I'm, you know, means to some people, I'm losing my autonomy. And that is a driver for burnout, that loss of autonomy. So it, it comes back to the circular argument of what we talked about before when it comes to burnout, but you've got to have some degree of standardization. I think the last thing I'll say is we've talked a lot about caregiver experience and the, the impact on burnout, but let's don't underestimate the impact to the patient experience, especially around scheduling and uh, referral management, intelligent referral management, things like contact centers and, and messaging and how they quickly they get responses to their questions and other things. How can we automate some of that? We talk about a lot of automation when it comes to our providers, but there's a significant impact on the patient experience uh, in a positive way. We just need to be 
mindful of that, that it's it's not only internally facing, but it should be externally facing as well. So to answer your last question on change management, you know, change is hard. Change is hard and healthcare has changed everything in our, you know, in our worlds are changing. There's a lot, a lot that's changing. And so I think you have to be very diligent as leaders, as as health system leaders, we have to be very thoughtful and mindful of all the factors when it comes into managing change. Again, it goes back to prioritization. How much change can a system handle at one time? And where's our biggest uh, opportunity? Where's our biggest bang for our buck, uh, per se? Yeah, it sounds like you really have to think about the the entire ecosystem as your, you know, things keep touching other things. So you really have to be mindful of that. So, uh, Ramita, what do you hear from nurses and other frontline clinicians about their day-to-day challenges and how technology does and doesn't help? Yeah, it's uh, very similar too, right? And and in that sometimes um, clinicians and nurses think that technology is more of a hindrance rather than a tool or a help. Um, and and listen, I've lived in I've lived in it, right? I was a bedside nurse, and I often sometimes when I look at the workstation on wheels and I can't get into um, my e- EMR as quickly as I need to, it's it it becomes a burden, right? And it adds to that frustration that the nurses feel every day and multiply that with how many times that they have to log in into the system. But it's several different factors, right? So it's the endpoints that they're using, the the WOWs or the PCs that they're using. It's the EMRs and how it's designed and how the workflow is from a documentation perspective. It's also the different devices that they use to care for a patient. It's their IV system, right? It's the Pixis machines that they get the communications from. It's the supply Pixis that they get their supplies from. So it's several different technologies that they touch in a clinical setting on your everyday life for, for nurses. When they look at technology and they hit a friction, that adds to the frustration and that adds to the burden. Part of as as we think of in, in healthcare IT, as, as we onboard and adopt more technology, we have to really think of the workflow and how that's going to fit the and every day, the the from the moment that the shift starts to the moment the shift ends and even after that. How is that going to affect the the clinician's workflow and the patient's um, experience as well as Patrick had mentioned? And I know Sesmet had had touched on on this as well as looking at not just adding another point solution to a problem, right? Which we often do in, in healthcare. There's a problem that needs to be solved. There's a one one point solution to solve it. And but then from an end user perspective, that's just yet another technology that they have to learn, manage, and sometimes support. Because five o'clock in the morning and there's no help desk, guess who's trying to um, troubleshoot that computer, right? It's it's the nurses. But on the other end of that, at Dell, we often talk about um, when we do a digital transformation, it's the people process and technology. Technology is the easiest part. And then I think we are further along in in the uh, in technology and, and, and the infrastructure is there to support whatever we need. It's the people and the process and that change management that that Patrick had spoken about, right? So it's it's we have to be able to think of um, how this technology is going to change the workflow. Unfortunately, right now, the, the workflow will change, right? So we have to make sure that the people who will be adopting, who will be using the same technology has that mindset of they can't be doing the same thing that they were when they were documenting on paper. And when you move to an EMR, it, the workflow is different. It's just the baseline is different. So they can't have that at thought of, I 
well, it's different from my workflow, then it's how is that going to change? I think um, it, it, part of this, as we evolve more in healthcare with um, technology and AI and automation, we have to have the realization and acceptance that care delivery is changing and has changed. And we need to adopt to that as well. A lot of challenges, you know, that, that all three of you brought up. And I'd love to have this question out for all three of you. But, you know, what are some key basic must-haves for making AI and automation tools work optimally? And with clinician buy-in, you know, do you start small and work up? You know, how should you choose and, you know, which use cases do you focus on? Yeah, I'll jump in with that one. You know, I think that some, you know, oftentimes, as with any change management or technology project, you have to have buy-in. And so it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, understanding the process. You can't just layer on a technology on top of a process that you don't necessarily understand or that's not standard. So I think it's okay to start small, but you have to be willing to kind of do some of the hard change management work as you spread these things across an organization, especially if it's patient facing or uh, provider facing in terms of decision support or, or others. You know, I think it's, you know, oftentimes when you're talking about choosing use cases, the first measure that we want to go to is financial. Well, that's great, but that may not be the highest use case. There may be a, another use case that really impacts burnout, for example, or efficiency or some other things that may not have the hard and fast ROI that some others do, like in RevCycle, for example. And so I think that you have to kind of lay out all of your priorities, really start to go with the use cases that make the most sense where you have the most buy-in, where you have the most standardization and some other things. We often get in this cycle of, well, what's the, you know, immediately what's the ROI? It's not to say that ROI is not important. Absolutely, it's important, but it can't be the only yardstick of success for a lot of these projects, especially when we're on the cutting edge of doing the innovation. And I'll jump into that as well. I think if we really want to look at technology adoption and AI in healthcare, we just, we have to ask the end users. Right. They have to be involved in that decision making. You want to pick a use case, ask them, because I bet you there's a low hanging fruit that they just gnawing at them that you can easily automate, whether it's they have to hit that button several times in order for, you know, for for it to turn red to notify somebody. That's an easy use case. So I think the the more that we involve end users in that discussion, the better we are in, in making sure that the adoption of that technology is successful. Oh. Yeah, that's a great point. I often say, you want to know where to start, where your bad processes are. Go spend five minutes at the elbow with the physician or nurse. They will be more than happy to tell you what processes are not working, what buttons in the EMR don't work, yep. what's a bad, why are you making me do this? I mean, that is, there's no shortage of those conversations. So, like you said earlier, you got to go to the front lines and and have conversations with people. And it's also an important point, uh, Patrick. You mentioned all the. So there are some use cases that have a large ROI, but there's also the ability to execute. And so this is one of the things we are looking at is uh, some, when we look at AI-based projects, there's a lot of factors around how much data you have and how how accessible it is, how good it is, how long will it take for you to prepare it and get to a place where you can start drawing insight. So the time to value of all of these projects and doing it in a, in a way that is cost-effective. A shorter time to value, fail fast, do it in smaller projects, show some immediate value to a small group of users and use that to drive adoption. It's kind of a, it's a chicken and an egg a little bit. Unless you have users adopt, they won't see value. And unless they see value, users are not going to adopt, at least at scale. 
Uh, so here's another question for all three of you. How do you best ensure transparency and integrity in your algorithms and models? And I know we talked about bias earlier. So, you know, how do you ensure transparency and integrity? Yeah, I think it goes back to, you know, what we talked about earlier, involving and engaging clinicians and whether that's uh, physicians and APPs or nurses or pharmacists or whoever it might be, partnering those with your your IT, your analytics teams, I think, you know, that's part of it. You know, if you can start from the beginning to to have that understanding, sometimes it's difficult because we talk different languages and and uh, in terms of data speak and, and others, but really partnering those multidisciplinary teams together, I think is critical. And then, you know, learning, you know, it, just as you deploy a model or deploy an algorithm, it's that continuous feedback process, that continuous uh, cycles of improvement uh, to monitor and ensure that it's in performing as you intended uh, and having the outcomes. Again, it goes back to the comments earlier about having enough data, having the robust data um, and, and being able to monitor it. But I think oftentimes, you know, we just want to push something out there and we haven't really fully vetted it out through the clinicians and others, you know, the, the subject matter experts. And I think that in this space, there's the potential to do a lot of harm if we don't do that. And, you know, we can learn from some of our mistakes. So that's what I would recommend is that we've got to engage those clinicians and subject matter experts from the very beginning. I completely agree with that. And we also have to take a look at the sources of data, right? So Sesma talked about standardization of data, all the different types of data that and the different sources where it's coming from, but also another point in, in making sure that the, the data that we're using for algorithms and, and learning um, is diverse enough to be able to cover the whole range of population. Right. So for, for any um, hospital organization, we want to take a look at the data that, that the sources that it's coming from, the diversity of that, and also who are reading that data, who's examining that data, and do they have a diverse view of being able to interpret that as well. So I think those are things to, to look at when, when we want to look at the um, transparency and stability or integrity of, of the data. And it's certainly uh, a very valid question because, you know, if it's a black box, then the trust doesn't develop. So you need to trust the model. And, and for that, you need to be able to explain how you're getting the results. Uh, so from a technology standpoint, we, we are seeing a lot of these platforms visualize that mapping. So if you are getting a certain output, how does it map to the key inputs? How important are the variables? How do they correlate with each other? And so being able to explain that in a way uh, that makes sense to the end user is, is also an important capability of the, uh, the, the platform of the solution. And I wanted to also add um, another factor in, in AI and in data transparency is also how do we deliver that to the patients? How do we let them know that we are using this algorithm um, to be able to make these key decisions about their care? So I think that's also a big factor in that process. Yeah, actually, that's a really important part, uh, Romina, because if if the industry is leveraging AI, the patients need to be comfortable. Now we're going into privacy and security, but what are some keys to building in cybersecurity from the ground up as these tools are deployed? You know, I, I don't know that necessarily that the principles of cybersecurity are, are any different as we're talking about these technologies than we would with any technology, right? I mean, we all know that the, the challenges that we have in healthcare from a a protected information standpoint and, you know, the, the risk that we have from cyber attacks and others. So I don't know that it's necessarily 
that much different than other technologies that we have. Again, it starts with the foundation of just good cybersecurity principles and practices within each organization to understand where the data is going, what the data sources are, et cetera, uh, and how we're, we're sharing or not sharing data. Uh, so I don't know, that's probably my kind of non-IT technical background perspective. I don't know if the others have a different perspective. It's, so it's PHI, it's, uh, it's so the, the same security construct that applies everywhere, to your point. There is the privacy aspect, which is a little more complicated because now uh, the data was gathered from a patient in a certain setting. Uh, what is the consent, uh, informed consent management? How does that process happen? And then how does that get factored into the way uh, the results are interpreted? So those are definitely questions. I think from a security standpoint, I completely agree. It, it should be a part of your overall security construct. We are seeing a lot of uh, things like zero trust frameworks coming into play where identity management, access control, those are always important uh, and that's applied in the same way for these types of models. But on the privacy side, I think that's where things are uh, a little more, maybe not as clear and need for a better definition, better regulations. And I think as we look at more and more of the sources of data, right? So it's coming from not only within the walls of the hospital, but it's also coming from perhaps um, patients' own devices, right? So those are another factor to consider. It's all, what are all the different um, endpoints where that data is coming from? And, and is there a um, infrastructure or a process to be able to secure all of those different um, devices as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think we can all agree that AI is evolving faster than many might have expected. So what do you see when you look to the future of automation in healthcare? And what are your concerns and what are you excited about? I think there's a lot to be excited about. There's also a lot of concerns as well. So I think there's huge opportunity in workflow and patient experience and other. There's a huge opportunity in terms of making the EMRs more efficient, uh, the processes of, of delivering care more efficient. Obviously, there's opportunities when it comes to uh, billing and rev cycle, and that's just going to continue to accelerate things like prior authorizations, uh, intelligent referral navigation, patient navigation, et cetera. I mean, some of the concerns that we have, we've talked about many of them, biases in the algorithms, those would be the more the clinically facing ones. There's also the app question of medical legal liability uh, when the algorithm, you know, has a, has a wrong prediction or an hallucination or et cetera. So how do we how do we manage that? I predict that that's going to be probably a, a ten to fifteen year question before that one gets solved uh, about who's liable in some of these algorithms, especially when there's a patient harm or uh, an adverse outcome. So I think that where we should focus now is, and this is where we're really excited, is really more of the augmented intelligence. It's really how do you make clinicians more efficient versus getting to the point where it's actually making decisions or making treatment decisions. At the end of the day, we still need physicians and nurses and pharmacists and others to you know, do what they've been trained many, many years to do, but we can also assist them and make their decision-making process a little easier, if, if nothing else, to eliminate some of the noise that they have to sift through when making their decisions. I'm hearing a lot of fear of having AI replace the, the staff, right? I don't think that that will ever happen. You know, an AI or a robot, even a Moxie robot will be able to replace somebody holding, you know, your hand as you go through 
uh, a procedure, right? There are, like Patrick had said, I think there's a lot of efficiencies that can be earned with automation and AI. And I do love the fact that Patrick had mentioned augmentation, right? So augmented care delivery, and that's where we are now. And that's what I'm really excited about is how I used to practice before as a nurse is not going to be, it's not how they practice as nurses now, which is exciting. You have virtual nurses now. You have um, telehealth. A few years ago, we never, you know, even accepted the fact that you're seeing your provider via a screen, right? You always want to see them in, in person. But now the convenience of it to be able to see my provider from anywhere and anytime and sneak in a five-minute consult um, between a workday and not have to leave your, your house to do that. That's the exciting part of it is healthcare delivery is changing and you can receive healthcare now from anywhere. That would only, I think, accelerate more. That's the exciting part. Um, but I don't think technology or AI will never, ever replace the clinicians at the bedside. Um, I think it's just going to change how they deliver care and how patients are receiving care. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That's an exciting part of healthcare now. And being the technologist on this call, I think I'm also excited about some of the more operational and some of the non-clinical use cases where you can apply automation and AI indirectly those will also have an impact on the user experience uh, so we're talking about streamlining processes to to manage and deploy endpoints being proactive in monitoring the user experience on those endpoints driving telemetry from devices that can give us early indicators as to you know performance issues and you know romina you mentioned login time so the beginning of the call so there's a lot of opportunity in that space. Uh, it's a low risk area. And then lastly, at a macro level, I, I this time at Teams, um, I remember one of the keynotes was uh, from uh, uh, a Moody economist, Mark Zandi. He mentioned uh, in in the in the past uh, several years, I think it's in a, in a span of around 10 years, the rest of the industry productivity has increased 60%. In the same metric, when he looks at healthcare, the productivity has stayed flat. There is a gap, there's a delta there between the rest of the industry and healthcare. And there are some very good reasons for that. But I think uh, bridging some of that gap, um, AI and automation will play a, a significant role in the next couple of years. I think when you look at healthcare, healthcare is one of the few industries where the introduction of technology has not reduced the total cost of care delivery. And I think that when you can look across the spectrum, you know, when you look at other industries, electronics, et cetera, Technology has absolutely driven down the cost of goods. And I think that this is a real opportunity. You know, like you said, it hasn't increased productivity or productivity hasn't increased. This is a real opportunity to change that trajectory of the future and understand how technology, the introduction of technology, truly can drive down the cost of care, make it more equitable, make it more accessible for more people across the country, across the globe. And to just close the circle as well on, on the burnout for healthcare workers, right? So we're seeing a decrease in the in the amount of nursing students coming into the workforce. And there's a gap of, um, they're saying 1.1 million um, nurses in just in the U.S. alone. My, my excitement is that in, with technology, we're hopefully going to be able to bridge that gap, not to replace the clinicians on the floors, but be able to make the workflow efficient enough so that we can manage taking care of sicker patients or the, that we're seeing now, the higher acuity patients that we're seeing now with less resources because of the automation and the intelligence that we're now adopting in healthcare. So hopefully that'll 
kind of bridge that gap as well. I think there's a lot of promise in AI, and um, it's wonderful to hear you know what you're excited about. So Patrick, Romina, and Susmit, thank you so much for joining us today and for your insights. Thanks for having us. And a special thanks to Dell Technology for sponsoring this podcast. So everyone have a fantastic rest of your day. 